All right, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Behind the Mic podcast. We've got our season three opener today after wrapping up season two last week with Susan Bennett. Next week, next Wednesday, December the 2nd, hard to believe we'll have reached December by that point, we'll talk with Andrew Bellison of the Chicago Cubs. Today, a man of multiple voices, formerly of the Potomac Nationals, also Duke, Georgetown, George Washington, Marymount, among other non-public address roles that we definitely will get to. Jeremy Whittem. Jeremy, how are you? Good. How are you, Alex? It's it's an interesting time. That's probably the best way to phrase it. Um, now, I know you would say you got the interest um, in getting to this industry when you were at quite a young age. Um, I want to ask you kind of a two-part question, if you will. Um, the first part being well, how you got into it at such a young age, and were there any big question marks early on thinking, you know, well, should I really be getting into this at a young age, or was there just enough confidence that you're like, you know what, I want to do this, I'm ready to go? Thanks, Alex. Well, I got into it because my cousin works for a singer-songwriter, a a well-known singer-songwriter. I will not tell everybody his name, but he's he's very well-known, um, but, you know, I ended up going to a concert with my cousin and my mom and my brother and myself. And we basically, you know, hung out with this gentleman for a couple of days. We took him to Wild World. We took his daughters to Wild World. We had to um, disguise them and, and because he was that, that's how popular he was. And the day of the concert, you know, I actually got to see the ins and the outs. I got to see the, you know sound check I got to you know just see the entire arena before it filled up and I was just awestruck with everything that you know he had to do leading up to the show and he was opening for a well-known artist who was on the American Music Awards the other night an instrumentalist I will not name any names but um so, you know, listening to my, my cousin's employer, I was like, wow, this is really cool, you know, and I, to actually have a personal um, connection with him and then see him sing and, and do all his stuff. Um, I then, we were on his tour bus and we were playing Nintendo when uh, Mario Brothers was out in Duck Hunt. We were playing Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. And he's like, I got to get back in there. We're doing a duet. Let me, you know, let me get get you guys off my bus, see you later. So we go back in, this is at Meriwether Post Pavilion and in, in Maryland. We go back in and someone stole my seat. And I was in the pit. I was like three or four rows from the stage and we were sitting in the pit. And the artist comes out and the other artist, the instrumentalist was, you know, here, here he is and, you know, and all of a sudden, the instrumentalist stops and he says, how would you like to have this? He turns around, he grabs a saxophone and he starts playing it. And, uh, and he stops and he's like, how would you like to have this? And he points to me and he's like, yeah, you. And I turn to my cousin who works for the other singer. I said, is he really talking to me? And she's like, yeah, he's talking to you. And he's like, what's your name? And I said, Jeremy. He's like, what's your name? I said, Jeremy. He's like, what's your name? And the whole crowd yells, Jeremy. And he's like, why don't you come up on stage? I want to give you, I want to teach you how to play the sax. So I'm walking up on stage and he's like, I see you have a 
backstage pass. Who's that for? Is it for me or is it for the other guy? And I said, it's for the other guy. And he's like, you know what? Just come backstage. I'll teach you how to play. So I literally walked back to my seat and I'm like, mom, I want to be an entertainer when I grow up. And she's like, really? And I was like, yes, I really want to be an entertainer. She's like, what makes you say that? And I said, because I've got to see everything that goes into this. And now I'm getting rewarded with a present from a well-known artist. And from that day, Alex, the age of nine, I just was awestruck in the whole entire process that goes into being an entertainer. And, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of knew from the very beginning, again, at the age of nine, from hell or high water, I wanted to be an entertainer. I mean, at the age of nine, you don't realize certain things that have to happen and you have to do things and you have to sacrifice. But as I got older and was able to talk to my cousin and able to talk to other people that were older than me, they said, you might as well just go for it. Put your whole, you know, if people are telling you that you have a path to go this route, keep going with your path. Don't deviate from it. And that's what I did up until this day. How do you think the mindset, and this is, isn't even really a public address question, it's just a career in general question, and that being, how much do you think the mindset differs from somebody that kind of has their mindset from that early age as opposed to it being a career that maybe somebody stumbles on in their late high school, early college years? I mean, again, it goes back to when I was a kid to how I actually got into announcing sports. I mean, it, you know, if you have it in the beginning, keep pushing forward. You know, if you get it later in life, you know, don't, don't stop believing that you can, you can have that, you know, dream or that goal of doing what you want to do. Don't always sit there and say, Hey, I want to, I want to do this, but people are saying I can't do it. You can always do what you want to do if you put your mind to it. Tell us about your earliest start in sports and how often you kind of go back to recollecting about that time, if you will. Well, I mean, you know, my brother and I are 17 months apart um, in age. He's older than I am by 17 months. And he, he was a soccer player. His soccer coach in high school was also his travel coach. So I saw a lot of his soccer coach because I was an avid, you know, high school person, I would go to back when I was in high school, sporting events were a big deal. I mean, the states, the stands were always packed regardless of the sport. And so I would go to my brother's soccer games and the soccer coach was like, Hey, Jeremy, I see you every weekend and almost every game here in the high school level, please go up to the press box and call the game. Like you see it. And I was like, you want me to announce, you know, and my freshman year was a very big soccer year. So I was like, you want me to go up and announce this game right now, like in front of all these people? And he's like, just go do it. And I went up there and grabbed the microphone. And back then it was all, I didn't put much thought into pregame stuff and prepping and things like that. So my rosters were always scribbled at the last minute, you know, in pen or pencil. But, you know, I always look back to that. I always think of you know, my age of nine, when I had the itch to when I was 15 and started the announcing, because it's, it's such a rush. I mean, to have that, you know, job present, present itself 
and then to be recognized. At first, I thought it was just going to be a one-time gig. And then all of a sudden, the coach was like, come back next week. Come back next week. And then finally, that year, the athletic director, who happened to be a neighbor across, we had a creek that separated my house and this athletic director's house. And we played with his son. And uh, he's like, do you want me to pay you for doing these games? He's like, I'll pay you to go up and call these games. And I was like, you're going to pay me to do a high school soccer game? And like I said, we were pretty, pretty good soccer team. So towards the end of the year, we, I saw some pretty big crowds. And I actually called the state quarterfinal soccer match in front of a lot of people. And I was just, as a freshman, I'm like, holy crap, this is cool, you know? So it was, it's been a, it's been a rush. It's been a, it's been a good journey so far. Well, and not to kind of part the topic for a moment, but I did high school girls soccer, albeit well provided it happens this spring would be my eighth spring with our high school program. And we hosted the number two team in the state in a sectional final, which for those listening out of the state of Illinois or unsure of how things work in our high school system, it's two games before state, the sectional title game. And uh, our opposing team's fans were unruly to say the least, uh, to the point where one of the officials actually threw their entire crowd out um, in the waning moments of the game. And I was only two school years into public address work. And I was, so my first ever game, basketball, coach gets thrown out, like, and I mean, like, Bobby Cox, Atlanta Braves level <laughs> ejection. And um, then two years later, an entire crowd gets thrown out. And at that point, I'm thinking, I don't know if I really want to go into this. I've seen a coach thrown out. I've seen an entire crowd <laughs> thrown out. And like, But, yeah, it's definitely, um, I think, one of the more fun sports to work. Now, I want to ask you about your time in college athletics. Obviously, you've worn the hats at multiple um, institutions. And before we get into the details of those roles, I want to ask you just your overall um, perspective on college athletics and the unique um, vibe that it gives, the unique atmosphere it provides. Obviously, not as much of an atmosphere this year with COVID and all, but definitely a unique experience, especially in the PA chair. Well, I mean, the experience is like no other. I mean, you go from calling games in the high school level where it's really, you know, a social hour if, if fans are even in the stands nowadays um, to the college level, you get, you know, you get some pretty well-known guests in, in, in the stands and scouting to the fact of the players on the floor. Um, so it's, you know, to actually – to have that atmosphere is like no other. You can go, you know, whether it be 15 people to a thousand people to, you know, a couple hundred or nowadays it's going to be pretty much zero. Um, so, you know, going from, you know, the college, college atmosphere is pretty, pretty unique. Um, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, they think it's just another level of sports as a PA announcer, it's really not. You, you really get to see the jump of, you know, these kids really enjoy the game. They play it for the love of the game. And you, as the PA announcer, you want to give them the energy they deserve for all their hard work of, you know, 18 plus, you know, 
how many, how many ever years they've done to, to get that scholarship or to get that time to play in front of their family, loved ones, or what have you, depending on, you know, if it's a local school or if it's a big time, you know, school that athletes are away from their families. Yeah, and that's one thing I've thought uh, doing three years of public address for D1 women's basketball and at Bradley for those podcast listeners that have heard me mention that before, I, so I won't go into too many details. But I've always said, I told their coach, I told the fans, I said, oh, we appreciate what you do, what have you. And I'd always say getting to announce a D1 basketball team is an incredible thrill. Um and it's not necessarily about level. It's about the experience like you had talked about. And then another angle. And when I say this, I'm not saying that high schools don't care. That's kind of a bad way to put it, but it might come across as that. So that's why I'm clarifying it in advance. But another angle of college public address is things like compliance, like advertisements and the legality of what goes on from that perspective. How right. have you experienced that or what can you tell the listeners about that angle of college public address? Well, as, as you get up there in the tournament realm um, of things, it's pretty much you see the business side of it. You know, there's college athletics is it is a business. People that don't work in college athletics, whether it be in the athletic department, wherever, uh, facility maintenance, facility upkeep. It's a business. There's a reason why everybody does everything. And, you know, when you do a tournament game, you kind of have to back off things because there are legal things that have to be done. You have to do it a certain way. You have to do it at a certain time. And as I've grown in the business, especially in the college world, um, going back to the big East men's soccer tournament. Um, you know, they were like, just have fun with it, you know, stay, stay neutral to you, but don't be bland to, you know, to the entire crowd. They're like, we don't care how you do it. You do a great job. Just do it. Do, do your job the way you know how. And the way I know how is provide that business model for the NCAA to be happy with the product that they receive. And I, I feel like public address, like in life, like in many other situations, uh, where it's one of those things where it's just be you. Exactly. Uh, whether it's a postseason event, like you mentioned, or whether it's, you know, your home team playing against the arch rival, you know, like that, because, and that's something um, I've learned in my short time in public address is, hey, and, and that's what I tell the listeners, too. You were asked to be in the chair you're in because you do a good job, not right. because you emulate so-and-so or you sound like so-and-so because you are good. Right. And um, I guess kind of rolling off of that, how important do you think it is to maintain that angle and not try to be somebody else because I feel like you're almost this might be kind of over dramatizing it but you could say that you're almost making yourself worse if you're trying now there's like maybe little bits and pieces like maybe sayings other announcers use that you could use from time to time but if you try too hard to emulate somebody else that almost makes you worse to a degree doesn't it would you say absolutely you know Alex when I started my career I'm a diehard 
Boston fan, Celtics, Red Sox, you know, um, and I emulate, I grew up in the business idolizing Rex Barney from the Orioles and Bob Shepard of the Yankees. And how I did that was I wasn't too overdramatic. Now, as I've, flirt, as I've grown in my career, you learn to be yourself. You learn just to do you and not emulate anybody, but honestly take it what you've heard and apply it to you. For example, you know, I'll, I, I have a closing thing I always say after every game, and that's not, I'm not emulating Rex Barney. I'm not emulating Bob Shepard, but that's my, you know, I'm, I'm giving praise to those two people that, you know, gave me the, the inspiration to, to keep broadening my horizons. You never want to, you never want to, you know, let your listeners, the fans, the athletes, your bosses, you know, you never want to show them that you want to be someone else. Like you said, they hired you to be you and the fans and the athletes and the coaches they'll learn to appreciate you because speaking from experience, I get a lot of compliments from coaches. I get a lot of compliments from referees and officials. They came up to, they came up to me all the time. And, you know, I have a wide range of, you know, universities and colleges I work for and people come up to me and they're like, how do you know that guy? How do you know that guy? How do you know that coach? And it's like, because everyone appreciates, you know, what I do. It's not what someone else does. And that's what you want to do. You want, you want other people to appreciate what you do because you're the one in that chair. You're the one behind the microphone. It's not somebody else. Now I want to ask you, you mentioned, and again, I, I do want to say this on the recording. Thank you as well as obviously we talked about it before. And thank you for sending me what you did because that makes things so much easier for me. Um, but I do want to ask about your time with the Potomac Nationals. Um, for those that don't know, Class A affiliate of the Washington Nationals. And I'll start with this. Obviously, I know from having a minor league affiliate right across the Illinois River from where I'm at, but the minor league experience is something to behold, especially looking at how it's a family-friendly event and yes. just the atmosphere of it all. Kind of tell us about your time with minor league baseball and what your angle um, from the PHR was. Well, you know, Alex, it's funny you say that because growing up here in the Northern Virginia area, the Washington, D.C. area, up and down, you know, this East Coast side of, you know, the D.C. area, I've been able to come in contact with a lot of people, um, a lot of athletes. And going into my, you know, stint with the Potomac Nationals was, you know, I, I got, you know, I got recognized as when I was DJing in a local establishment and they said, Hey, we're looking for somebody. Do you mind auditioning? And I was like, sure, I'll come out and audition. Um, and I got the job and, you know, I was a little bit, you know, it, it was professional baseball. Right. And being so close to Washington, we got a lot of rehabbers and I have, there are some very, very nice moments that I have with working with the Nationals because of our affiliation of the Washington Nationals. A lot of people don't know this, but when I was young growing up in the business, um, Ryan Zimmerman 
was playing in a summer wood bat league and he was actually at the stadium. And I got asked by the summer wood bat league, if I would go be the PA announcer for the day. And I said, okay, you know, if they give me the go ahead, I'll be glad to do it. So I go up to the stadium and of course the then Prince William, or I forget who they were affiliated with. It was the Potomac nationals team. Um, they said, yeah, we're welcome to have you just make sure you do, you know, do the click because I'm in charge of the music at the time as well back then. And they said, just make sure you're, you're, you do one thing for each team because you're neutral. It, it's, you know, and I said, absolutely. So third baseman makes an error. And we had the Homer Simpsons, a hundred does in a row. Third baseman made an error. What did I hit? The Homer Simpson doe. The manager on the third base side comes running out to the backstop and he says, don't you ever effing make fun of my third baseman ever again. Come to find out years later, it was Ryan Zimmerman. So, you know, I have that connection with Ryan and it's so funny. I, I tell people all the time, you know, if you see Ryan, you know, cause we had him come down a lot with rehabbing. And I say, if you tell, if you see Ryan, tell him I'm here, but I won't make fun of him because, you know, he, he's to have that, you know, experience at such a young age and then me actually working for the organization. And then to flash forward, um, the Orioles organization with the White Sox organization, I actually, you know, um, I won't name any names, but he was in the press box, one of the games, because he, you know, got kicked out of the game for, for doing something, but he wanted to see his guys still play. And uh, Omar Vizquel was in the press box with us. And he said to me as he was leaving, he's like, man, I really enjoy your voice. And he's like, are you in charge of the music too? And he starts dancing because he, he hears the song I'm playing in between inning breaks. And he's like, I love it, man. I love it. Keep, keep doing you, keep doing you. So, you know, those things, you know, on a managerial side, Wally Backman for another, he, he's a big minor league uh, manager who does antics on the field um, to go into players. I know Gavin Sheets on a more personal level. You may know of Gavin. I know Ryan Ripken on a more personal level because of my family ties. And it's just really cool to actually have, you know, see these kids. I call them kids because they are growing in, in the baseball you know, um, growing up in the baseball world. And it's really heartwarming to see them do big things. I mean, I saw, I called Juan Soto. I called Victor Robles. You know, I saw Juan Soto when he was a kid. He still is a kid, but he has great plate discipline, great, you know, pitch recognition at such a young age. To see it that close up is just very heartwarming. It's heartwarming to see kids and even umpires, you know, that's, you know, I've had conversations outside of the ballpark with umpires because they've seen me out and about. And, you know, my, the heartwarming thing about me working in the baseball, you know, realm, professional baseball realm is we're all trying to better ourselves. We're all trying to move up and, you know, to see the kids, to see the managers, you know, do that is, is ultimately what I, what I want to see. Now, obviously, minor league baseball isn't in the best of shape, especially with the blow dealt by COVID. Um, how hopeful are you that things can return to a bigger, better place? Or is it just the point where 
it's maybe not necessarily pessimism, but because of the fluidity fluidity of COVID, you don't know what to think in regards to a 2021 minor league season. You know, to be honest with you, Alex, it's it's all up in the air. We at work in sports just have to take it with a grain of salt and we have to, you know, hope for the best. I mean, we don't know what, what our next day is, as, as you're well aware. And those, you know, that work in sports and entertainment, we don't know, you know, we we may have freaked out in the beginning of this whole COVID ordeal, but now I think everybody's learning to adapt on a, you know, day-by-day basis. And once, you know, for our sake, talking about minor league baseball, I really hope it does, you know, flourish. I hope it comes back bigger and better than ever because you now understand that major league baseball has something in minor league baseball. You know, they can literally produce a higher quality product if they both come together and and put that, you know, put that as a one package deal instead of saying we're two different entities. Now, something that, you've mentioned lightly and I definitely want to talk more extensively about is your experience as a DJ. Um, And I think the most important point here is about being versatile. And that's something I feel like listeners uh, need to know, especially if you're of the variety that you want to advance in this industry. It's kind of like talking about with television. Uh, If you want to advance in that industry, you might need to do the news. You might need to do the weather, traffic, what have you. Um, So I guess I'll ask you that. How important do you think versatility is and how have you perhaps seen that help you um, in your Being versatile in in our, in our, you know, career path is very important. Um, You know, I will say a lot of the times when I go into a college arena or a college building, it's so nice to have someone else do the music. My supervisors and everybody knows I'm a professional DJ and it's so nice, you know, to have someone sitting next to me totally and I'll, I'll joke with them, whoever's playing the music. I'm like, that's a nice song selection, you know, or, oh, why'd you play that? You know, it, it's, it's very, it's, if you're a DJ, you have to use your voice, right? Regardless, whether it be TV, whether it be a mobile DJ like myself, I mean, whether it be on radio, you have to use your voice. So in retrospect, it's a must to be versatile as, as a DJ and a sports announcer, as a PA announcer, you know, because they go hand in hand. And when I do DJing events, you hired me for a DJ. I will not use my voice. I'll use my voice, but I won't go into the PA mode. And people are like, oh, wow, you really have a good voice. Then they find out I'm an also, I'm also a public address announcer. So it's like, you know, and then they ask me, can you use your voice more? And I'm like, no, I'm not here. You know, I'll do the necessary things, but I'm not gonna, you know, it's very, it's very, it's a must have to do both because obviously a sporting event has music. If you don't have music, it's very bland. And if you literally as the PA announcer, can kind of sit there and appreciate what other people are doing with the music. You can kind of, you know, I've had the luxury of, you know, pretty much everyone that runs the music knows I'm a DJ. So it's kind of like, Hey, what do you think about this song? And nine times out of 10, Alex, I'll say, do you, I'm not, you know, cause I I'm, I'm there as the voice. I'm not there as the DJ. 
you know, so it's very important, you know, and, and I always tell, and that's kind of why I got into the business of DJing is because people are like, Hey, you know, why don't you go to school for it? You know, you, you go, you go to every sporting event in high school. Why don't you go to school to be a DJ? So that's kind of where I went with the whole thing. It was starting out with announcing and then I went to DJing, but then people realized, Oh, wow, you really are a dual threat regarding you know, the DJing and announcing. Now, I'd love to keep talking, but we do have to um, start winding down as we do approach the um, half hour mark. But one thing I want to ask you, and I thank you uh, for granting me approval to talk about this beforehand. Um, you had a serious heart event about a year ago or so. Um, and I think anytime something like that happens, and I obviously can't speak from firsthand experience, but it kind of puts life in perspective and furthers the um, attitude of not taking anything for granted. And especially in this time of COVID, not taking whether or not your game is the last game for granted. Um, did you kind of experience that mentality um, after um, going through what you went through? And could you kind of detail um, how this, um, albeit one month, I think you said one month before we started, but the road back to a microphone has been. Yeah, you know, Alex, it makes you, you know, make, going through, you know, a medical event, a life event like we're all going through, we're all going through this horrific life event that no one, no one predicted. You can't predict a heart attack. Right. So with, with me working as, you know, the public address announcer for numerous universities and colleges, you know, I cherish my time with Duke. I cherish my time with Georgetown. I cherish my time with Marymount, with George Washington, you know, it's, you know, to have that dream as a nine-year-old kid and then maybe have that taken away, you just learn to appreciate it. I mean, to, you know, to give you a little input on how I got interested in Duke, my cousin grew up with a role player for Duke University and up in upstate New York. And she was in law, my cousin was in law school down here in the Baltimore area. So as kids, we would go to Duke Maryland basketball games and so going to see those games, I was like, man, you know, I had, you know, very interest in, in Duke athletics. And then in 2018, the, the Duke job came open and I applied and everyone at the ballpark in the minor league ballpark, like, did you hear anything? Did you hear anything? Did you hear anything? And I'm like, nope, nope, no, no, no. Finally, one day before a game, I open and I wake up and I open my email and it says, you know, Hey, we love it. You know, come on down and, you know, do all this. So you learn not to take it for granted. In my first game in Cameron Indoor, I told my supervisor, I said, thanks for allowing my dreams to come true. And he looked at me like, what do you mean? And I told him the whole story about this basketball player. And my cousin was like, tell Coach K I said hi. And I'm like, if I see Coach K, I'm never going to tell him you said hi, because I don't know what you did with this player. You know, he, the, guy, the kid my cousin grew up with was a role player, you know, Greg Kubek. But, you know, so going into like the whole Duke experience, going into the whole Georgetown experience and every other college experience that I've been able to have throughout the micro behind the microphone, you just learn not to you learn to cherish it. You never know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I just always tell people to, you know, live your dream, go after what you want to go after. Anything is, you know, attainable for you to accomplish. And you just have to attack it like that because. For me, for example, 
I woke up one morning and had a heart attack and it, it shredded my heart. So, you know, you could have the, you could have your dream job or your livelihood taken away from you in a, in a matter of minutes. So I always tell people just go after, you know, go after what you believe and what you want is in your heart. You've obviously had quite a bit of experience between announcing and DJing 44 years combined, but I, I ask you this to close. What is your favorite part of what you do? Whoa. Um, the favorite part that I do is having the fans come up to me or the coaches or the referees tell me that they enjoyed their time at the event. I've had fans and players say, thanks for giving me a little escape from what I'm going through. And my response to that, Alex, is you have given me an escape. They don't know my whole heart issue, but it's, you know, that is the most rewarding thing for me is to have fans and players and coaches and officials and staff tell me that they've enjoyed their experiences in the place that I'm working. You know, it, it's just, it's an honor. Like you said, 44 years of combined, you know, time around, you know, 24 of announcing 20 as a DJ, you know, it's, I do it, I do it for the fans. I do it for, you know, for the, the players and the, and the staff. It's not about me. It's about the people on the, on the other side. I think that's definitely a very important mentality for, I would say, all announcers to have. Before we let Jeremy go, um, Facebook is BTM Podcast Alex, Twitter BTM Podcast underscore Alex on their Facebook and Twitter, and then Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, among other outlets is where you can find us. Next week, we continue Season 3 with the public address voice of the Chicago Cubs, Andrew Bellison. He'll be on the program next Wednesday. Hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving. This will air on Wednesday, the 25th, the day before Thanksgiving. So hope you all enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday in as safe a manner as possible, of course. And Jeremy, so long. And thank you so much for being part of the program. My pleasure, Alex. Take care. Have a good break.